Good morning. It is Sterling Fox sitting in for the vacationing Jill Bennett. Nice to be back with you here on the morning show on CKNW on this, uh, well, damp, to say the very least, Saturday morning. And as uh, Mark just mentioned a couple of moments ago, the big traffic news this morning, and they've got this Sea Wheeze half marathon. It's the Lululemon deal. They do it every year. It ends up with a big party in Stanley Park. There's, yes, running and yoga, because, of course, it's Lululemon, so you got to do both. And then a big party. But there are lots of closures in downtown Vancouver. Vancouver this morning, and the big one to, to pay attention to is the Burrard Street Bridge, which is completely closed until 9 o'clock this morning. So if you're coming up into the city, you're going to need to use Granville or the Cambry Bridges. Burrard is out of commission because of this marathon. Now, want to talk about downsizing. We've been talking about this for a little bit this morning, and it's a real pleasure to welcome Yvonne Ziomecki to the program. And Ms. Ziomecki is the Executive Vice President with Home Equity Bank, and they commissioned a survey with the Ipsos people uh, for Canadians who have gone through or are contemplating downsizing because for those who have gone through the process, well, it's not exactly all hearts and flowers and perhaps a few unexpected wrinkles have occurred. Yvonne Ziomecki, good morning and welcome to CKNW. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to have you with us. So talk to us a little bit about this survey. How many people were involved and how recent is it? And then we'll cut to the nuts and bolts of the findings. Of course. So, you know, we find that general sentiment is that uh, downsizing is the smart financial option in retirement. So we talked to 2,500 Canadians and the survey was done late August. And uh, as you said, it resulted in some very, very interesting and surprising findings. Yeah, one of the things I suppose uh, that really surprised me, Yvonne, when I read through the synopsis of all of this, is how many people in the process of downsizing actually moved away from where they live. It's one thing to sell the big house and move to a condo nearby. That's sort of the game plan that I've always anticipated. But a lot of people in the process of downsizing don't do that. They, They move a considerable distance, don't they? They do. And the reason behind it is, you know, usually when people are contemplating downsizing in retirement is because they're trying to free up cash from from the house, some of the equity from the home. Mm -hmm. And if that's the plan, you can't really move into the same neighborhood. You need to move further away. And, you know, uh, GVA, uh, housing prices, it's not easy to find a smaller home in the same neighborhood and free up a lot of money. That's what takes them, you know, far away from family, friends, and and the daily routine. So how many people actually contemplated that and and went through the downsizing process anyway, knowing, Yvonne, that they were likely going to have to move a little further than they had originally planned? So in our survey, about half of the people um, contemplate downsizing. and And I think the major reason for it is, like I said, they're trying to free up cash. What they don't realize is that they actually have other options. So if you, you know, if you have a house that's worth a million dollars and you're looking to uh, free up some money to supplement your retirement income, the number one most rational thing that comes to mind is actually selling the house. Sure. That doesn't have to be the only option. And, um, you know, there are other things they could be doing. Well, and of course, it's important to point out, as I've introduced you as an executive vice president with Home Equity Bank, uh, what people think for a few seconds, they go, aha, you're the people who offer Uh the chip reverse mortgage. So clearly, by way of of talking about your findings uh, and options available to people contemplating downsizing, the reverse mortgage should at least be something that gets discussed, Yvonne, right? 
Absolutely. You know, what we what we tell people is there are two decisions when it comes to downsizing. One is rational and the financial side of things. The other is emotional. So moving away from family, moving, you know, to more remote community, losing, you know, touch with doctors, um, you know, your garden, you know, all of those things. The financial decision um, is very important and and they're actually costs that people don't think about. So they're realtor fees, moving costs. Um, You have to buy new furniture. If you're going from a large house to a smaller condo, you are going to have to dispose of maybe what you've had and, and buy something that fits the size. Yeah, good point. What we tell people is before you actually decide to downsize, look at other options. So look at a reverse mortgage and understand how much money you could get, um, understand if it's going to be enough, if it's going to make, uh, make a difference, and have a conversation with your family, uh, decide what is right for you, and then make decisions accordingly. Don't just jump to downsizing as the answer to it all, because as we found out from the survey, things don't always work out as people plan. Well, it's a good point, because the game plan for many people, and again, we talked about this earlier, you know, you buy the house in the 70s or the 80s, and you know, it's paid off by now, and chances are, Yvonne, worth one heck of a lot more than you were paid for it in the first <laughs> place. fortune. Oh, no kidding, huh? So with all of that cash yeah. available, uh, then you really should discuss all the available options, at least to be fair to yourselves in that way right exactly and you know with our product so with a reverse mortgage you don't have to make any payments so if you you're in the house you love and you love where you live and you're close to everyone and you think you know health-wise you can probably stay in it for you know five to ten years and then you'll have to make another decision right why rush you can take out the money. You don't have to make any payments with our any mortgage payments with our product. Right. And you figure out what you want to do next. But I think you know people have worked so hard for their homes. A lot of the time, most of their uh, retirement savings are locked in the house. In a way, this is a really good way to access it and then figure out what you you know where you're going to to move next. Interesting. No Fi- rushing to downsizing. Yeah, no rushing required here. And one final question no. to you, and we're grateful for your time this morning, Yvonne. Of all of those people who have contemplated downsizing, how many in your survey did you find actually went ahead and did downsize? Um, the I don't have the number handy here, but I can tell you that those who have um, downsized uh, we're very surprised with the cost of it. Yes. 27% said the cost was far more than what they expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it doesn't work out. It, it doesn't free up as much cash as, as you hope for. And then your retirement is still impacted. Lots of factors to consider when it comes to downsizing. And where can people learn more about this, the survey that you've done? Is there a home equity bank website that you can direct us to? Sure. You can uh, go to www.heb.ca, or if you want to learn about reverse mortgages, you can go to www.chip.ca. Yvonne Ziomecki, thanks very much for this. Good to speak to you this morning. We appreciate your time. Chris Sims is joining us now. Chris is the BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, making her regular Saturday morning appearance on CKNW. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's good to have you with us. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and lots to talk to you about today. But the, the, the first thing I want to go to is, is, a, is a kind of a personal Chris Sims thing. We'll get to the other Taxpayer Federation concerns in a few minutes. But you wrote a piece a few months ago uh, describing, well, your 
uh, childhood in many ways because you grew up in in a family where dad worked in the Alberta oil patch. And now that the Alberta oil patch is going through yet another contraction in the wake of the, uh, you can't say cancellation of the pipeline, but in the wake of the no action pipeline, a lot of people who were counting on, you know, boots on the ground and working beginning before the winter uh, are still sitting, twiddling their thumbs. And that's, it gets expensive on so many fronts. Tell us a story, Chris, please. It really does. And uh, I wrote it and I've been a journalist for about 20 years. And so we are always trained, try not to make yourself the story. But in this case, I really thought it was important to be able to share a story so that others going through it would know that they're not alone. And that just because some of the other culture keepers aren't talking about their issues and their lives, that it doesn't mean people care, don't care. And so, uh, yeah, my dad was in the armed forces, and then when he left the armed forces, he worked in the oil patch in the late 70s and early 80s. Okay. And uh, early 80s, uh, my mom had triplets, and so that wound up with uh, four kids under the age of four. And that is when the National Energy uh, Program came in, the mm. NEP, mm-hmm. by the first Prime Minister Trudeau. And anybody in Western Canada, I can hear the recognition in your voice, remembers what happened then. And so dad had no big paycheck to go back to. And when something that big happens, when you throw an oil sector off a cliff, you just have a cascade of desperation. Mm -hmm. You just have people scrambling for any sort of money and any sort of work. And so I think for a lot of listeners, they may not realize that for the steel-toed set, uh, the oil patch is a great equalizer. Oil and gas is a great equalizer, including things like mining and logging. It means that you can leave high school um, and work very hard, but you can make like $100,000 a year sure. and more. And that was even in 1970s and early 80s money. He was making that. Um, and then you go to nothing. Mm-hmm. And so just imagine now, we've got these 8,000 people. A lot of them have families. A lot of them would have been told, yeah, man, you've got a, you've got a role for about four years, yep. depending on where you're working in the spread, as they call them, between Edmonton and Burnaby. Four years, about a hundred grand, zero. It's horrifying. Um, I've been hearing from some of these men who had already bought like a new truck to do their work with because a lot of these guys are tradespeople. They need those big rigs to work on. Sure. Now they're what fifty thousand dollars owing with no job to look 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 to. Some of them had already put down lease money to to lease a place to live along the line between Edmonton and Burnaby. Now that's up in the air. And the I heard from somebody it was the worst, that they knew people who realized they were subcontractors. So that means that if you're a subcontractor, like you're basically working for your own self, like your business, right. you get no EI. So oh. there's literally nothing. Right. So And so when I was a little kid... Um, and the NEP came in, and it nuked the oil patch. And basically every working man and some women um, who work in oil, gas, and natural resources were thrown out of work. Um, it was bad. Um, I was in B.C., but Dad had used to go back and forth to Edmonton, to Alberta, rather, and work, and then he didn't anymore, and we couldn't find work. And we stayed afloat because my mom was working graveyard shifts at the hospital as a nurse, and that was it. Um, it got so bad, people actually were dropping uh, donation boxes off on our doorstep without us asking. Mm. And I remember fishing, um, fishing a pair of used uh, gumboots out of it. I was a little kid, so mm-hmm. I didn't care. 
and I fished them out, and I thought they were great. They were this weird faded pink-gray color. Um, for food, we were eating a lot of um, no-name tomato soup, um, hot dog, and macaroni casserole um, night after night. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad, Dad was really um, lucky that he was able to hunt, and he bagged a moose for the winter. And that was a game changer. How many years did this go on for, Chris? About five years. Wow. You know, um, you know, eight, eight, 1981 till about 1986 or mm-hmm. so. Um, and things got better after that because he got a really good job in mining. But again, same sector, right? Natural resources. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm telling the story um, not to say woe is me, but to tell these people... <laughs> who are making these judgments, you know, in the name of uh, potential protection of killer whales, to realize that there, there are real people that they're affecting here drastically. And we were the lucky ones. You know, we got through, you know, okay. I knew other people who got divorced. They lost their homes. Um, they watched their trucks get repossessed. Mm-hmm. They had their stuff taken back from them. Um, and then the unspeakable also happened, and I'm sure you know this. Um, people took their own lives. Yes. And even now, it's ghastly to think of and bad, but even in 2015, people don't realize this. Fort Mac and the area in northern Alberta saw a 30% increase in people taking their own lives. Mm -hmm. And that was just with the downturn. It wasn't with this horrible news coming out of Trans Mountain. And I want people, these politicians and these decision makers and these national journalists to know that this sort of stuff has real devastating impact on people. Interesting. And it's a well-written piece and uh, worth reading. And I recommend it to our listeners. Now, I've been saying on the radio for a long time, as in well over a year, uh, since this whole uh, pipeline discussion began long before we bought it, that I don't think mm-hmm. the, I don't think the, the current prime minister wants the pipeline. I don't think he wants anything to do with the pipeline. Now that he's got it or bought it, he can at least sit on it and not do anything about it indefinitely. And of course, we get to pay for it nonetheless. Uh, is there a taxpayer's position, Canadian Taxpayers Association position or federation position on the pipeline in terms of uh, let's get this thing going or sell it to private enterprise? What's the position? We were all in on getting this thing built, as you point out, before taxpayers owned the bloody thing. Um, it's it's so obvious that it's almost embarrassing to have to point out. So we had a company, an oil and gas company, Kinder Morgan, getting green lights from various levels of government for five years to twin an existing piece of infrastructure that's already there. It's already delivering oil to the coast. It's between Edmonton and Burnaby. They were told for five years, yes, 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 you can. They won 17 times in previous court challenges. So we've got a company here being told yes by a G7 country, that's us. Mm-hmm. But we can't get our act together to even allow them to have the rule of law and to have their assets protected to actually do the work they've been told they can do. And so we, we were actually interveners on behalf of getting this thing built before taxpayers owned it. And then, inexplicably, um, taxpayers bought it. The federal government bought it because they dithered, and they, like you said, ragged the puck for a year. They weren't getting it done, and then they wound up buying it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, now we're stuck holding the bag, and we need to get this built now. And now the onus is on us even more to get it built as soon as we can and sell it back into private hands. 
It's because we're not, we're not confident that a government that can't even pay its own employees properly, they can't get their payroll software correct. We're not confident that a government can actually run a pipeline. And the other, the other downside of all of this is, is that the world is watching and uh, business yep. investment it is going to cost Canada, in, not just in Alberta, it's going to cost Canada a lot of potential investment dollars come, going forward as investors around the globe say, well, you know, I've got a project in Chile and here's an option in Canada. Uh, I'm going to go with Chile because at least it's going to get done. Whereas in Canada, it's not. Not, uh, th- there's no certainty involved anymore. Yes, exactly. And you hit the nail on the head. And they're bailing. Like co- corporations and companies are bailing. They're looking at Canada and going, really? And they have to look at Kinder Morgan and see what happened. Five years, a corporation that already is doing business here. It's fully entrenched. Uh, for five years, a company is told, yes, 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 all good. They're paying money. Right? They're protecting their line, they're investing, they're, they're writing reports, they're going through hearing after hearing for years on end, and then at the very end of it, the company just gives up, throws in the towel in a, for a country that they've been doing business with now for so many years. It's, that's bad. It's a really bad signal to send. It's going to cost us a few bucks. Only got a minute left, and I want to bring the, the, the end of the conversation a little closer to home because you've got a thing at taxpayer.com. Uh, sign the petition to stop the school, in quotes, property tax hike. What's that about? Yes, very briefly. Uh, it affects uh, homeowners that you know have very good, good homes, especially in the West End and in Vancouver. But the catch is is that it's a special property tax uh, based on the value of your asset, based on the value of your home. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, these people who are on fixed income could be taxed out of their own homes. And what's worse is that even if they aren't taxed out of their own homes, they can no longer leave it to their adult children. So they're taking away a privately owned piece of property, an asset, because the government wants to. And so it's a school tax, but it's not actually a school tax. They just called it that so people have trouble uh, criticizing it. We got no trouble doing that. All right. Take a look at it. It's really just a wealth tax to punish people for owning their home. And there's lots more information at your website, which is taxpayer.com. Correct, Chris? That's correct. Thanks so much. Oh, it's good to have you with us. Uh, and thanks for joining us this morning. And a great piece in the sun, especially from a personal perspective. And it wasn't just all about you. It was, it was a well-written story. Thank you for that, too. Good.